From Spa Damer and Tenney, it's White Coat Wellness, a show for doctors who are ready to improve their financial wellness. We know you work hard to help your patients, but you can't be at your best if you don't have your own finances in order. In White Coat Wellness, we highlight real-life stories from physicians and dentists to educate, encourage, and inspire you to personal, professional, and financial wellness. Now, from Spa Damer and Tenney, please welcome your host, Shane Tenney. Welcome to today's edition of White Coat Wellness. I'm Shane Tenney, and today we're talking about private practice in high-end dentistry. You know, we know this topic came up in our planning session because we know that uh, only in in medicine, only about 45% of medical practices are owned by the providers today. The the trend has been clear over the last decade as more systems and hospitals have been been, uh, taking ownership of medical practices. But dentistry, the ratio is exactly the the opposite uh, with I think uh, three out of four dental practices across the country being owned by the dental provider. That varies by state and different laws there. And while kind of the the picture of a dental practice is the solo practitioner, you know, run of the practice till they're 65 years old, the the generational trends, those winds are blowing. And, and now almost half of dentists entering the field would prefer to be working in some sort of partnership. Which, which brings us to our, our topic today um, to, uh, to, to work through. And so I'm excited to have you guys here and, and to have you able to watch uh, our, our talk as we go through kind of the highs and lows of private practice partnership uh, with uh, Dr. John Penix and Dr. George Betancourt from uh, Advanced Dentistry of Blakeney, located uh, just on the edge of Charlotte, North Carolina. I know you guys started in practice about 15 years ago and have ridden the roller coaster of success and stress and uh, appreciate you guys being with us uh, this afternoon to talk a little bit about it. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Now, as we dive in, I want to make sure you guys feel comfortable. And so I thought one of the most important questions that everybody who's not in dentistry wants to know is at what point in the training do you learn how to translate? (laughs) (laughs) It it takes a few years. It takes a few years. It doesn't come right away. That's the mastery level. That's right. Is that right? That's right. (laughs) Um, Tell us, uh, start at the beginning for us. Tell us a little bit about how you guys uh, formed the practice or or found each other after your, your training. Right. So I was in, in residency, in a residency training program here in Charlotte and um, John was, working in a, in a private practice setting in Atlanta in a large group setting. And he wanted to head over this way. And, and through uh, networking of, of certain people in our community, we ended up becoming partners and, and opening a practice from scratch. We found a really nice location that we thought had a lot of future potential in terms of growth. And we, at the time, knew that we were on similar pages in terms of what we wanted to achieve professionally and in, in, in terms of the, the makeup and the style of the practice. And to be honest, we just jumped right in and determined a few things that were really important to us at the beginning. And from there, um, through years of experience and, and growth and, and, and some tolerance and education and getting to know each other and, and learning the business side of dentistry, which um, is, is a pretty important topic in our profession. Um, we just we we started to, to grow the practice from a grassroots level, if you will, and and over the years, it's 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 turned into what we have now. So, how long did you know each other before you decided to 
jump into a, a business together? We knew each other. We talked quite a bit over the phone. Um, so we were introduced from a, uh, a Henry Schein rep, a local dental rep. Um, he had got to know George through his residency. And then me, I was looking to move back to the area from Atlanta. So we talked quite a bit over the phone. And then uh, we actually opened the practice together probably three months later. Okay. So it was... Uh long distance dating and then love at first sight. Exactly. <laughs> and, and as you came together, George, you were talking about just some of the, the thinking, the training, the, the vision you had for the style of dentistry. Do you remember looking back, I guess, to 2005 or six, uh, thereabouts? 2005. 2005. Do you remember any expectations that you had from the long distance phone calls that you started to kind of I guess have a have a dose of reality as you came together. This isn't as easy as I thought. Right. Well, you know, to be honest, I was a little bit less concerned about since it was a since it was a start from scratch. I was a little bit less concerned about my partnership with John and more concerned about whether we would have patients in the office. <laughs> Your attention is divided amongst some important things, and and there was a lot less thought into what you want the partnership to become, and a lot more thought to. You know, how do we get this up and running? And and we, in a lot of ways, grew together. We um, had a similar outlook and a similar philosophy, both in how we treat patients and what we, the level of dentistry that we wanted to accomplish in our practice, as well as the business side. And so that was a natural fit, which was just, to be honest, quite convenient. Um, I think it's hard to find, and, and we were a bit lucky. Mm-hmm. But where we did have some strengths was in our communication with each other and, and setting those expectations. But we were just on the same team when we came together because we had to be in order to be productive and, you know, to, to keep the, keep the ball rolling, if mm-hmm. you will. So we were almost immediately thrown onto being on the same team and, and, and being um, goal driven for each other because we needed to get patients in the door because it was a, it was a brand new practice. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of a, kind of a unique situation in that way. I think one thing that was important to me, George was coming out of a residency, so he was probably sitting in a hospital setting, not in private practice. After I graduated from dental school, I was in a large group practice in Atlanta, and it was a private practice. There was probably 20 to 30 other dentists, and there was 12 offices. And I learned a tremendous amount in the the time that I was there for four years about how to practice dentistry. But I also learned some things that I didn't want to do. They were heavily insurance driven. So it was a high volume practice. And we were urged to use less expensive materials. I noticed that they didn't pay the staff very well. So it was hard to keep good people around. The labs that we used weren't the best. And I hated it. I mean, I really, I I was miserable. So when I moved to Charlotte, um, our goal was to open a fee-for-service practice that was quality-driven, not not volume-driven. And sharing that with George, he had the same philosophy and said, hey, let's, let's do this. Let's start it and do it the right way. So I think we grew quite a bit more slowly in the beginning because we weren't bought into every insurance mm-hmm. plan. They weren't feeding us patients, but we grew the right way with the right, right type of patient. And How did you talk a little bit about that? That marketing strategy, when when you're not just associated with Cigna United Health and everybody else, um, how'd you go about finding patients that wanted your your type of care and 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 were comfortable with your your fee arrangement? It's tough. I mean, uh, um, a lot of it is just word of mouth, and uh, you get people in. And I mean, I remember some days where we had 
one or two people, people way on, too on much the free time, right? <laughs> we were uh, putting golf balls in the hall in between patients, but but when somebody came in, they literally were our sole focus. And um, I think we we both have good head on our shoulders. We know how to to treat people right, do the right thing, and we both know how to practice good dentistry. People recognize that and then spread the word, and it it grew, but it grew slowly. And when did you? I guess maybe the first year or two, three, whatever, you know, is, is largely dominated by, by the goal of survival. <laughs> uh, at, at, at what point did you, looking back, would you say you really began to try to set goals together and, and what did that look like? How's, how's goal setting evolved yeah, for I, you? I think it took a few years. Learn the, the management side of, of private practice dentistry and learn, learn the business side. When you come out of dental school, we don't have all the, the, the business level expertise regarding LLCs and operating agreements and, and just how you, how you structure the business and how, you know, working closely with an accountant for, for all the different types of, of purchases that you might make that have tax benefits and things like that. Those are things that, it, that took a lot of time to to develop and and as we both grew together then you know through open lines of communication you start to you start to set those goals as as to always looking at what your strengths are looking at what your weaknesses are and always trying to prove and trying to to work towards towards the ultimate goal which is to have a very secure financial present and future um trying to include time that that in for your family and, and family activities and free time. And, you know, with it being the two of us, really open lines of communication. I mean, I can't speak enough enough to that. There's a lot that we bring to the table where there are enough similarities to where it's a good starting point, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't come without some discussion as to, as to how we get there. And I think that as we grew and learned the business of dentistry and, and became able to practice a higher level of dentistry through, through experience and CE courses and, and expanding our knowledge base, then, you know, it, it, it comes together. It comes together when, when you're on the same page, when you're spending a lot of time together, when you're relentless at the idea that you're going to have a successful business and that you want it to be a certain type of business that, that affords you certain luxuries. You know, we, we feel, we feel, really lucky that, that we're able to practice in the, in the type of setting that we do in that fee-for-service setting. And it absolutely can be done. We look at colleagues whose uh, practices are, are highly insurance-driven. And once you are here and once you're in a fee-for-service model, it's very difficult to envision how you ever would have practiced that way because I don't know that I could. I, I think that, that the type of dentistry that we do and, and how we practice is pretty unique to our environment and what we've created. When you're planning and setting goals... Has there been a time when when you've got a vision for something, George and John, you're sitting there thinking, "There's no way," or I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I, I think there's phases. two types of goals. Some of them are the direction of the practice, and then you know maybe if it's services you want to provide, or technology that you want to purchase, or things that you want to get good at, and then the other is financial type goals, um, and they both are kind of looked at differently. Uh, uh, I, th- I think that our financial goals are very similar and we can talk about that. But sometimes I, for example, am more cosmetic driven. So I do a lot of the prosthodontic type procedures and things. George's area of expertise and interest is surgical type things and implants. And so when we try to divvy up resources towards those two different areas, we're sometimes butting heads a little bit. Um, but ultimately, we've grown the practice in both directions. And I think that's ultimately been the best thing. And did you, how, how many years did it take in the evolution of the, 
of advanced dentistry for you to begin to realize your own just natural interests and proclivities and things like that. Cause I imagine in the early days, essentially we're basically bringing anybody in and providing great service and cleanings. And I mean, that's absolutely, that's absolutely right. I think in the beginning, um, because you were just trying to be busy and trying to be productive, you were, you were willing to take on things that, that you, we were all more than able to do. We could all do some cosmetic cases. We could do uh, restorative dentistry. We could do a lot of similar things. I would say to answer your question, maybe year six, seven. I mean, it, it's, it's longer than you think. We each always had a, a certain interest in what we would consider our niche at the moment, but it wasn't for many years into the practice that we decided, hey, let's we might have something here. There, there are things that I really enjoy doing. There are things that you really enjoy doing. And then we have to, you know, exploit that. We have to, we have to put in the effort to make that a realization, which means not only do you and I have different areas of interest, we need to go hard in each of those directions to do the correct CE courses, no overlapping CE courses. My CE courses went in one direction, his went in another. There's going to be plenty of overlap through our discussion and the fact that we work together, but we really needed to focus on what what each of us enjoys. And and that brings up just a, a you know a, a whole different aspect because now you, you can get into the the satisfaction of what you're doing. Rather than just being productive, you're being you're being productive with what what you really enjoy. And in dentistry, it's there's so many things that you can do that if you can identify, hey, these are some things that I really enjoy. Well, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity to be able to do those things more than you do the things that you don't enjoy. And, and, that, and that diversification within the practice of, of what each of us likes to do just really bodes well for the partnership. And I think when you first get out of dental school, you think that you know how to do everything and you really don't. I think we're taught how to do single tooth dentistry really well. When you get into some more complex issues, there needs to be some advanced training. And I think you get out of school and you start with a practice like George and I, and we're both kind of on the same level. And then as you continue to train yourself and you go in different directions, you start realizing, hey, I've been doing all this training here, and now I'm doing this at an elite level. And you've been doing all this training here, and you enjoy this, and you're doing it at elite level. If I tried to do what you're doing, I'm maybe not doing it as good as you are. <laughs> so, so it makes a lot of sense at some point to say, hey, why don't you see this guy? <laughs> yeah, or if I had to do what you're doing, I would dread my drive in. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Why don't you tell me more about the company right after this quick break? I'm Will Coster, and on this episode's White Coat Wisdom, I want to talk about budgeting, one of the most dreaded topics of financial planning. Here's a hot take. Stop budgeting, at least in the traditional sense. Most people get discouraged from the expectation that budgeting requires you to track every purchase down to the penny. And if you exceed your monthly appropriation, then you have failed. I'm here to tell you that budgeting is not an exact science. And no matter how hard you try, there will always be categories of spending that change from month to month, season to season, and year to year. However, there is a solution. Tools like Mint can really be the key in establishing a baseline for your spending. This will take a couple of months to get an accurate average. Once established, you'll likely notice a couple of categories that you were surprised by. For myself and a lot of people we work with, it's categories like eating out, clothing, or how about Amazon? This is where you focus your energy when budgeting. Don't worry about tracking things like gas. You're not going to break the bank because you have to fill up an extra time that month. The bottom line for my time today is choose one or two categories of spending to focus all of your attention on. 
and be extra mindful when making those purchases. Everything else will fall into place and you won't be exhausted from stressing over every penny. If you control a few areas of spending, you will likely do your budget and your mental health a favor. For this episode's White Coat Wisdom, I'm Will Coster. And with this, just your your specialization and kind of the art in in finding a way to leverage and then begin telling that story. I mean, first you have to realize it yourself and then we have to begin communicating that to the marketplace and referrers and, and other folks. Um, do you do, do you apply the same type of, um, I don't know, diagnostic is maybe too strong a word, but the same type of lens to your, your staff and, and oh, seeing their strengths and their proclivities and, oh, you'd be good, you know, getting, um, what's the phrase, getting the right people in the right seats on the bus. Absolutely. I think, I think that our vision and, and our treatment philosophy doesn't just go for us as professionals and in, in, in the level of dentistry that we're providing. Everybody in the office, from the front desk staff to the hygienist to the assistants, need to be on the same page with what the expectations are and, and what it is we're trying to accomplish, seeing the big picture and, and understanding what we're trying to do as an office, as a team. And that's, that's incredibly important. In the office, um, one of the ways that they're able to communicate that, and, and, and we do as well to the patients, is... On many occasions, we we will both be involved in, in one individual's care. There is a lot of crossover between what we do and, and many of the patients that need the complex restorative dentistry, cosmetic dentistry that, that John does are also people that, that might very well need some surgical services, whether it's whether it's uh, gum surgeries or implants and, and things where I'm involved. And, and when patients come into our office at the staff level and at the doctor level, we both tend to be pretty involved. It's We will often both meet and consult with a patient about a complex treatment plan at some point before anything is ever done for that patient. And the communication between John and I and the patient, as well as the staff, both from a front desk standpoint and an assistant standpoint, there's a lot of continuity there. And, and when you establish that continuity and people understand that, hey, I have a team of people who really know what the heck is going on here. And based on my last opinion as to the dentistry that I should do, I feel more comfortable here. There's, there's just, they've got it together. And I think that's really important. And that, and that doesn't involve just John and I, it does involve both of us, but it involves everybody else who might come in contact with that patient at any point. How does your, you're mentioning that your commitment to the patient's outcome often ends up with both of you having that same patient on your schedule. So you can meet together and we can talk together and brainstorm together, which brings up one of the most common topics when I'm talking to folks about partnership and, and that is money. How did you decide how to, how to pay yourselves, how to split the revenues, that sort of thing? We, that's evolved over time. And I, I think that the, the change- 90% of, you, 10% the, George, yeah, is that, that right? Yeah. That was how it started and then it went to 85. <laughs> now that we used to split everything up on a production or collections basis. So what he collected per month and what I collected per month, we divide that up by a percentage and then whatever our profit was at the end of the month, that was it. Then we started to realize about the same time where we started to diversify our procedures that we didn't want any competition involved. So if I felt like that George could do something better than I could, I wanted him to do it and I didn't want to have any influence on that. 
So around that time, we said, let's just forget all this dividing stuff up. And at the end, our profit is divided 50-50. And I felt like that that was a huge turning point in the practice because it really created a team approach. It wasn't, this is my patient or this is Dr. Penix's patient and this is Dr. Pentancourt's patient. They're all collectively our patient. And whoever does the procedure and is best suited to do it is the one that's going to do it, regardless of the cost. Mm-hmm. And you know that... When you're on vacation and one of your patients has to see George on an emergency basis, that's super. That's yeah. better. Our vacations have increased since we did that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And we're now looking for some associates. Right? <laughs> um, for I'm, I'm thinking there may be somebody watching, uh, watching us through the Facebook Live or listening to our, our podcast recorded here. And they have been in a partnership that maybe doesn't feel like it has the same chemistry you guys have. Or, or maybe they... They used to be in a partnership that they're not in anymore. They like to be in a partnership. Um, talk about the mess. What's the biggest fight you've had? Where's the biggest disagreement? How have you navigated those things? Yeah, I mean that's a great question. I mean, we, we, <laughs> George, we've always we've all, we've always you know said that you know when when either of us has has a really strong opinion on on a certain topic, whether it's staff or dentistry or buying some new piece of equipment, that that one of us could could formulate an argument that was so convincing that, that you would overwhelmingly have the evidence to, to win the argument and say, this is what's best for the practice. And you should be able to, to establish your position and, and, and reel the other guy in to say, Hey, yeah, this is, you're right. Maybe this is, this is the right way to go. Um, but I, but I think what it comes down to with disagreements and I'd say, honestly, over the years, they've been very minor, the open lines of communication and, and being on the same page are huge. You can't be in a partnership where where people in the group have hidden agendas or even alternative agendas. You really have to be all in and you have to have a really high level of trust. And I think that's where a lot of partnerships will fail. And not necessarily because they aren't good people in the partnership or good doctors or good practitioners, what have you. It's It's because each of the individuals might have their own different expectations or own different goals for where they're headed. And, you know, we're of similar age, our, our, our kids are of similar age. We just happen to have a lot of the, the chemistry that you need to make that happen. But wh- where it stems from and, and how you get through the disagreements is just by, by feeling like you have a high level of trust that, hey, we're in this together. And, you know, maybe I don't agree with this particular purchase or... Um, what have you. And, and you say, but we're going to, we're going to go this route. And you know what, if, if one of us is wrong, you learn from it and you acknowledge it, but, but open lines of communication and trust. I mean, I, I think that's seems a bit basic, but, but it's, but it's really, really important. Mm-hmm. Anything you would add to that, John? No, I, th- I think he's exactly right. I think that from the beginning, we were lucky enough, maybe we didn't even know it at the time, but we're two people that have very similar philosophy as far as uh, how we do our dentistry and how we treat our patients, how we treat our staff and our priorities as far as family life. And so I trust him. I trust his intentions. And if there's some minor thing that we don't agree about, I know it's no ill will and we end up talking it out. So I think being respectful of each other and uh, listening to each other's opinions, and then we tend to hash it out. And there, there's been very few major ones over the years. I think I, I think one of the take-home messages here, I mean, understanding that there are a lot of you know folks out there listening to this who are trying to get a few a few pointers. You know, before you get into a partnership, and before you get deep into a partnership where where you're now 
kind of dependent on each other for your professional life and your and your personal life, so on and so forth. You just have to be sure. You know, I, I think you have to try to vet that person as, as best you can to get to know, you know, what they're about, what their intentions are, what their goals are. And 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 if, if that's done through an associateship type of agreement, that's fine. Whether it's meeting somebody and, and trying to figure out whether, hey, this is somebody I could partner with. There's a lot of ways in, the, in which business relationships can come together. But I think that I think that getting as much information as you can on the front end as to who somebody is and, and what they're trying to accomplish over what time period, over just, just information, 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 the more you can learn about what somebody is trying to do and it's, that's somebody as a potential partner, you'll just have a lot less headaches down the line. And, and I think that's, that's yeah, critical. You're both really highlighting just the, in some ways, the, the planning of trying to get to know each other, make phone calls, get to, you know, make an informed decision. And as you said, you know, John, and the luck of <laughs> finding somebody that I'm, it will grow up and, and, you know, has a similar worldview, not just about dentistry, but about how to relate to each other. How big of a role was just the early legal work and setting up your, the practice and, and those sorts of things. I'm thinking of kind of the saying about begin with the end in mind and, you know, those sorts of things. Was that, was that a big part of, I guess, maybe a big ingredient in, in your perspective on part of what's helped you navigate and grow and build and manage the entity? Or that's just ink on paper that sits in the back and it's really just us looking at each other and having an honest conversation? I think at the time I didn't think it was a big deal and I, I probably still don't know. My brother-in-law is an attorney who was... Uh, pretty rigid about, hey, let's look at this. Let's look at what if, what if this happens? What if, and I'm like, okay, what's it? And uh, I mean, he walked me through quite a bit of the paperwork and we got um, all sorts of possibilities sort of laid out on paper. For the most part, none of that's really had to come up. And so I don't think it's a big day-to-day thing. I guess we've got that as a contingency if anything does come up, but everything's been pretty straightforward. Yeah. yeah. I think, look, I think myself looking back at it and, and, and now from where we sit, the, where I would say what's important is is the relationships that we build with with professionals in other arenas and and not only do we learn how to how to delegate within the walls of our practice but I think over time you realize there are things that that you can't do on your own and I think for example the legal side working with a reputable attorney that you trust to help formulate your your documents whether it's your operating agreement or trusts, so on and so forth, um, working with a very, you know, with an accountant, I mean, a big part of our team, working with financial planners, people who, <laughs> people who help you set up really, 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 really important aspects of your, of your overall picture um, that help your, your practice um, run a little bit more smoothly. So I, I feel like we've had really good representation in all those areas over the years and that's really helped. And I, and I think, you know, there are some unsung heroes there. You know, the, I, think, I think those professionals that are a part of our practice are, are a part of our success too. And I, and I would caution anybody to be very careful with, with who you're working with in terms of, of legal advice and, and accounting advice. Definitely agree as, as a provider of advice to uh, practices like yours. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. As you as you look at the future and think about the practice evolution over the next five to 10 years, are there, what, what do you see coming down the pike? What's the, what's the future look like? Are there technologies you want to add, people you want to add, procedures you want to add? 
I think dentistry is becoming more and more digital. So um, in the past, everything was done in an analog way. So you're taking impressions, pouring stone models, looking at models, doing things by hand on the model. Now a lot of our impressions, we scan. So we take an intraoral camera and we scan. We've got a digital model. And it's amazing what we can do on the model so much more quickly and inexpensively than we used to could do by hand or pay somebody to do by hand. So that's where dentistry is heading. And the more and more digital technology that becomes available, we want to take advantage of it because it allows us to do our job more efficiently, more effectively, more inexpensively at times and explore more options. I think it's better for us and our patients. Technology allows you to do what you do better and, and faster. I mean, That's right. Patients Absolutely. getting turnaround in days or weeks instead of weeks and months. Right. right? Yeah. And I think it's important to note that, that when that technology becomes available, it's very easy to look at the, at the price tag that's associated with it and, and think of it as a, as a cost to the business. And I think, you know, the way we look at it is, is what can this piece of equipment, whether it's a cone beam CT or a scanner, which we use to digitize impressions and things like that, mill, milling crowns in a single visit in the office. Anytime we look at a piece of equipment like that, of course, there's going to be a price tag that comes with it. But we we look at it as, is this going to be an investment for the practice? Is this going to be something that helps us be more efficient and do our job better rather than, hey, how much is this going to be to finance over 60 months at whatever percentage? So so when you look at technology, I think it's important to to say, how is this going to work in my hands and and how is it going to make my job easier rather than the cost? Because you, you can get hung up on the cost of, of some of the things that, that are coming out. But at the end of the day, it's about, it's about how does it benefit me and my practice and my patients? And that really kind of bleeds into, I mean, I, I think overall, just the culture you're you're trying to set your view of how we're going to invest in a practice that best serves its patients. You were talking earlier about the team that you have, the staff that you have and getting them aligned. Talk a little bit about culture. And as you, as the practice is kind of, uh, I don't know, at a maturing point in its life cycle, how does culture fit into what you're trying to do both in what your team experiences and what your patients experience? Well, I think it's incredibly important that you get the right people on the team. There are a lot of offices that might experience a fair amount of turnover. And it's something that we've really worked hard to avoid by interviewing as best we can, asking the right questions, even bringing, bringing staff members in for working interviews. We really want to have people that will stay long-term and, and um create that continuity that, that a lot of people want to see, but that we want to see. We, we want um, staff members that are going to be on board with, with the level of dentistry that we're wanting to practice, the level of patient service that, that, that we need. Uh, and I think that setting that expectation and, and, and leading by example, John and I leading by example as to how we treat people, how we offer advice in, in dentistry. And that, that's something that the staff sees when we, when we do our hygiene exams the staff, our hygienists might might know in advance, you know, what we might think. They're they're with us in the room. They they hear the advice that we give. They understand our philosophy. That translates into their interactions with the patients when we're not in the room. And so that culture where you want to practice elite level dentistry and have elite level patient service will resonate throughout the building. And a lot of our feedback will not only say, hey, we had a good experience with the doctor, but from the second I walked in, I was welcomed to the practice and, and 
more or less everybody knew what they were doing. It was very, it's a very streamlined process. There's a, there's a protocol in place for, for how your first appointment at our office goes, for example. Um, certain things are being done at each of those appointments and it, and it provides a lot of structure. And I think when the staff and, and everybody involved are on the same page and, and it's a consistent message where somebody can be, you know, led to feel comfortable with, with what's going on, I think it puts everybody at ease and, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's repeatable. You want something that, hey, we had a good day today at taking care of so-and-so. No, you, you, want, you want it to be a model where, hey, we did a great job today. We're going to show up tomorrow. We're going to do the same thing. Yeah, I think we have a fun place to work in general. I mean, uh, you get to show up and we do life-changing dentistry. And when I say life-changing, it really is. I mean, there, and there's a certain value to doing a filling or a cleaning or whatever. But then, you know, when you're allowing somebody to eat again or look better, and I mean, it, it changes lives. So I think that our staff enjoy seeing that and being involved with that. And then, honestly, I mean, uh, we're really cool people to work with. And so, <laughs> and good looking, too. <laughs> Just day to day, we have a good time. Yeah. I mean, we, we work hard, but we're laid back. We have a good time. We're, uh, we're involved in everything that goes, that goes on. So we're not just locked off in some office somewhere, but I don't feel like we micromanage either. And we enjoy the or value the importance of family time. And, and all of our staff, um, they have young families, they're married, they have other activities to do. Um, I think we've always been really flexible with time off and the importance of those type of things. So um, I think we've got a good environment and a good group of people that get along and we, we do something that's that's meaningful for the community. Yeah, I th- almost as, as you've been answering the question and I think about the answers that you've, what, what you've been sharing over the last 20, 30 minutes, uh, there's the, the culture of... Uh, Really of investing. I mean, investing in people and good people, investing in technology and investing in things that sometimes uh, your colleagues around the country see as costs, as drains, as expenses, as, you know, that sort of thing. And in, in contrast, if you see it as as the inverse, as an investment that's going to create a culture and a work-life balance for our team, for ourselves, you guys being able to work half days and partial days and no days and know that the team is catching the balls that are getting hit their way is uh, that is, is a huge absolutely and I, I think we 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 are we are more than fair in, in our salaries and yours or the team's both um, <laughs> I think I think both are, I think both are important we're we're in it together but but having that investment in, in the staff once you look at at, at the range and at which some of these positions pay the, the couple dollars difference that you that, that you might think are 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 a big deal in, in terms of payroll costs and so on and so forth really are, are such a fraction of the benefit that you, you have from, from paying somebody well that, that you really like to be around and who does a good job in your office. The, the, it's absolutely worth it. Yeah. Now, as we wrap up here, I want to see if I can throw you a softball. The, our, our podcast, of course, is White Coat Wellness. You've talked about a lot of things that sound like wellness to me in your practice, <laughs> but what, what do you see as the connection between either relational, emotional, financial wellness and, and what what you've built at advanced dentistry. I'll ask each of you so you can think, John. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wellness. It's, it's balance. It's finding that balance. We all have a lot of us in, in, in our, in our line of work have professional goals. And, and I think you, for me, the, the financial piece of it is, is very important. You want to feel secure. You want to have a certain lifestyle. You want to be able to prepare and, and, and be prepared for your future and, and retirement. For me, it's being in an environment where I can take care of people and do what I was trained to do. I went into dentistry because I wanted to be in 
have that role on, on a healthcare team where I can make decisions and calls and, and do things and create things that, that make a difference. And so, and so it's a balance between meeting financial goals, taking care of people, uh, providing a healthy working environment for, for myself and, and for my staff, and then you know, having the time to spend with my family that, that I really desire. That's, that's, I'd say one of the, one of the, my ultimate goals is to be able to, to take time off and, and to spend time with them and be there for activities and, and finding that balance between your professional work environment and, and your home life and, and the time that you spend um, with, with the people that matter most to you is, is everything. Absolutely. Spending time with family, that's really ultimately my priority is is my wife, my kids. And sure, you need to make a certain amount of money and, and you want to put money away for retirement, et cetera. But in recent years, especially, a lot of our goals have been less about increasing our take-home pay and more about working less. So being more efficient to do the same amount of production in a shorter amount of time, that allows us and our staff to, to spend time with our families. And then I think the other thing is when you're at work, you want to enjoy being at work and you want to enjoy the people that you're around and you want to feel good about the service that you're providing and uh, doing good quality dentistry that you feel good about. It makes me happy, makes me sleep well at night. And ultimately our patients see that and the patients that we have value that and are willing to pay for that service. Wellness for everybody. That's right. Yep. <laughs> uh, Dr. Bettencourt, Dr. Phoenix, thanks for uh, coming in today and uh, sharing with us a little glimpse into your practice, Advanced Dentistry of Blakeney. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. I'm Will Coster, bringing you White Coat Achievements, our segment that highlights noteworthy achievements by your friends and colleagues. On this episode, we're focusing on the woman behind the mommy dentists in business community. Dr. Grace Yum is a pediatric dentist and the founder of Yummy Dental and Orthodontics for Kids, a practice that's located in the Chicago area. She is also the author of a book, Mommy Dentists in Business, Juggling Family and Life While Running a Business. The idea to start this community came to Dr. Yum in 2017 after she attended her husband's law firm retreat. She realized other professionals who work in a large firm have a natural network that dentists working in small practices don't have. Dr. Yum founded the Facebook group Mommy Dentists in Business, and it has quickly grown to over 6,300 members. Dr. Yum also started a podcast with the same brand name to share her stories and experiences that are designed to help moms be successful in their medical careers and in their lives more broadly. The podcast episodes are extensions of some of the more popular topics brought up in the Facebook group. Today, the Mommy Dentists in Business podcast has over 20,000 downloads. That's quite a large number of downloads and certainly one of the reasons we felt Dr. Yum was worthy of a white coat achievement. Keep on grinding. As always, if you know someone who wears a white coat and is achieving something noteworthy, feel free to drop us a line, send us an email. We'd love to hear about it. Might even feature them on a future episode. But again, this episode's white coat achievement goes to Dr. Grace Yum and everything she's doing with the Mommy Dentists in Business community. Thanks so much for joining us today. We've got more great episodes queued up in the role coming out in the coming weeks. So don't forget to subscribe. We really need you to subscribe. That helps us move up the ranks in the Google searches. Also love any reviews you have on iTunes or Google Play. You can also join the conversation through our private group called White Coat Wellness on Facebook, or you can find us on Instagram too. And if you have any questions, ideas, suggestions, 
or an idea of somebody who'd be a great guest on our podcast, you can email me directly, shane at whitecoatwell.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back here next time. This episode of White Coat Wellness is over, but you're not alone on your journey toward financial wellness. Spa Dame Rinteni has been helping physicians and dentists with their financial planning for over 60 years, and we'd love to answer any questions that would be of help to you. Visit sdtplanning.com today and take your financial wellness to new levels. Once again, that's sdtplanning.com. And we'll see you on the next episode of White Coat Wellness.